Welcome, dear listener, to the third episode of The Passenger, the channel that aims to bring you first-hand accounts from past travelogues. In today's episode, we will walk through the physical and spiritual journey of a 19th-century Russian pilgrim. The author of the account is unknown. It is commonly thought that it was narrated by a single pilgrim to a starets, or a monk, who wrote it down in the city of Irkutsk, in Siberia. The English version of the book is called The Way of a Pilgrim. If you are a non-believer or an atheist, I ask you not to assume right away that there is nothing relevant for you here. And in case you are a believer and you take active part in a religion, please indulge me for trying to understand the essence without its form. Let me introduce this episode by telling a short personal story. I found the Spanish version of this account in a museum in Santiago de Compostela after a 200-kilometer pilgrimage with my wife. When we were contemplating the cloister of the cathedral, which is that part with four corridors surrounding a garden or a fountain in the middle, we saw a nun walking and praying in circles around the building. We thought she was crazy, not that we meant to judge, but these thoughts pop up before we can get a hold on them. What was she doing? We could think she was brainwashed, but that rarely is a satisfying answer. I know that nowadays we are fairly unfamiliar with prayer and pilgrimage, but what if we have created replacements for these? The YouTuber, Göran Vinblad, did a video recently with the title Why do these people run for 24 hours in a basement? It's about a running challenge in Oslo, where athletes run in circles for 24 hours. When he asked someone running why she was doing it, she answered, it's something you have to do. Some athletes claimed that they would never do it again, and yet the next year there they were. Why? Why did Wim Hof, the Iceman, do a 63-minute ice bath for his birthday? Aside from the mentioned examples, we could add meditation, mindfulness, breathing exercises, yoga... What if the results we achieve through these activities were pursued in the past through the form of prayer? Why do many meditation schools teach students to use a mantra? Through these activities we find the means to enter the zone and experience an ecstasy of truth, or as Rick Rubin puts it, this allows us to access a different part of our brain, a process of non-thinking thought. Many works of art follow this same principle. The movie director Andrei Tarkovsky's poetic approach was already described as cinema prayer, and interestingly enough, some dialogues in this voyage resemble those in the movie Stalker, which is a pilgrimage to the zone. So today's episode is an interior journey through prayer. The hero sets out on a quest on how to pray continuously, non-stop. You heard it right, continuously. How can he reach this goal? And is this pursuit understandable to us nowadays? Without further ado, even though this might be a strange journey at first, there are plenty of signs that we are still the same beings, so let's embrace it in its full complexity. Quote, I came to church to attend liturgy and entered just as the epistle was being read. The reading was from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, which says, Pray 
constantly. These words made a deep impression on me and I started thinking of how it could be possible for a man to pray without ceasing when the practical necessities of life demand so much attention. I checked my Bible and saw with my own eyes exactly what I had heard, that it is necessary to pray continuously. What shall I do? Where can I find a person who will explain this mystery to me? I will go to the various churches where there are good preachers and perhaps I will obtain an explanation from them. And so I went. I saw a monastery. At the inn where I stopped, I heard that the superior of the monastery was very kind, devout and hospitable to strangers. I went to him, he received me warmly and offered me some refreshments. Reverend Father, I said, I do not need refreshments, but I would like you to give me spiritual advice. I would like to know how to work out my salvation. Work out your salvation? Well, keep the commandments and pray to God and you'll be saved. I heard that it is necessary to pray without ceasing, but I do not know how to pray without interruption and I cannot even understand what is meant by ceaseless prayer. The superior answered, This is exceptionally difficult to understand unless God himself reveals it. I spent the night at the monastery and in the morning expressed my gratitude for the warm reception and continued with my journey, not knowing where it would take me. For five days I traveled in this manner on a long and wide road. And toward the evening of the fifth day, an old man caught up with me who looked like a member of some religious community. He was a monk, and he invited me to visit the hermitage. Since I had no inclination to stop there, I replied, My peace does not depend on a place to stay, but on spiritual direction. I am not looking for food, as I have enough bread in my knapsack. You see, Father, about a year ago, I heard the following admonition from the Apostle Paul. Pray constantly. Not being able to understand this, I began to read the Bible, where in many places I found God's percept that it is necessary to pray continuously, to pray always, at all times and in all places, not only while working, not only when awake, but also in one's sleep. I was very surprised by this and could not understand how this could be possible and by what means it could be accomplished. A strong desire and curiosity took hold of me. For this reason, I went from church to church to listen to sermons on prayer. And though I have heard very many of them, I did not receive the desired instruction how to pray without ceasing. The elder blessed himself and began to speak. Thank God, dear brother, for this insatiable desire to understand ceaseless mental prayer. Recognize in this a call from God and be at peace. The truth is that, 
though there is neither a shortage of sermons nor of treatises of various writers about prayer, for the most part these discourses are based on mental analysis and on natural considerations, rather than on active experience. For this reason they teach more about the external character of prayer than the essence of prayer. Our only contribution toward perfection in prayer, the mother of all spiritual good, is regularity and constancy. Acquire the habit of prayer, and it will be easy for you to do good. The course of this conversation brought us close to the hermitage. In order to not let the wise man go and quickly receive my heart's desire, I hurried to ask him, Please, be gracious, Reverend Father, and explain the meaning of ceaseless mental prayer to me, and show me how I can learn to practice it. The ceaseless Jesus prayer is a continuous, uninterrupted call on the holy name of Jesus Christ with the lips, mind and heart. To learn about this prayer, we will read from a book called the Philokalia. This book, which was compiled by 25 Holy Fathers, contains complete and detailed instructions about ceaseless prayer. The content of this book is of such depth and usefulness that it is considered to be the primary teacher of contemplative life. The Elder opened the Philokalia to the account of Saint Simeon, the new theologian, and began reading. Sit alone and in silence. Bow your head and close your eyes. Relax your breathing and with your imagination look into your heart. And while inhaling, say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Either softly with your lips or in your mind, endeavor to fight distractions, but be patient and peaceful and repeat this process frequently. I listen with attention and delight to everything and endeavored to remember as much as I could. We spent the whole night in this way. I felt a burning zeal to learn ceaseless prayer and I asked God to help me in this. But then I became concerned about having a place to stay. Fortunately, I heard of a village about four versts away, and I went there to look. God was with me and helped me to find a place. I made arrangements with a farmer to live in a little hut and guard his vegetable garden during the summer months. Praise be to God, I found a quiet place. Now I could begin to study interior prayer according to the method which was shown to me, and I could still visit with the elder. For a week, I followed the instructions of the elder and studied ceaseless prayer alone in the vegetable garden, and for a while I managed. But then, a great burden came upon me. Laziness, boredom, drowsiness and a cloud of disturbing thoughts seemed to overwhelm me. In my sorrow, I went to see the elder and explained my situation to him. He welcomed me lovingly and said, Dearly beloved brother, 
a war has been declared against you by the world of darkness. A world which finds nothing as terrifying as heartfelt prayer and therefore tries by all means possible to confuse you and distract you from your purpose of learning how to pray. I will read you a directive from the Philokalia regarding such a situation. If, in spite of all effort, you cannot enter the interior of the heart in the way which was explained to you, then do what I will tell you, and with God's help, you'll reach your goal. Man's vocal cords enable him to speak, to vocalize words. Use this ability then, and, while fighting distractions, diligently and continuously say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. If you will preserve for some time then, without any doubt, the path to the heart will be open to you. This has been verified through experience. Do you hear what the Holy Fathers say about a case similar to yours? Therefore, you ought to receive this exhortation with faith and say the Jesus prayer vocally as often as possible. Here is a rosary on which you can count, and in the beginning say the prayer at least 3,000 times a day. Do not add to or take away from this number by yourself. Through this exercise, God will help you to achieve the ceaseless activity of the heart. I received this instruction joyfully, returned to my place, and began faithfully and as accurately as possible to carry out this directive of the Elder. For two days it was somewhat difficult. Then it became so easy and pleasant that when I was not saying the prayer, a need arose within me to say it, and I began to say it then with much greater ease than I had experienced at the beginning. I reported this to the elder and he suggested that I recite the prayer six thousand times a day. He said, Be at peace and faithfully recite the assigned number of prayers. God will reward your effort. For a whole week I stayed alone in my hut and recited the Jesus prayer six thousand times every day, neither worrying about anything nor paying attention to the distracting thoughts, no matter how severe they became. My main concern was to carry out the advice of my director as accurately as possible. Do you know what happened? I became so accustomed to the prayer that if for a short while I stopped reciting it, I felt as if I were missing something, as though I had lost something. When I would begin reciting the prayer again, I would immediately feel great joy and delight. If I happened to meet someone then, I did not feel like talking. My only desire was to be alone and to recite the prayer. As the elder had not seen me for ten days, he came to visit me. He listened as I gave him an account of my progress and then said, You are now accustomed to the prayer, so continue with this good habit and strengthen it. Do not waste any time, but decide, with the help of God, to recite the prayer twelve thousand times a day. Rise earlier and retire later. Stay alone and every two weeks come to me for direction. I did as the elders suggested 
and on the first day I barely completed the assigned number by late evening. At first I felt tired in reciting the prayer constantly. My tongue seemed numb and my jaw was tight. There was both a pleasant sensation and a slight pain in the roof of my mouth. My left thumb, with which I counted the beads, was sore and there was an inflammation in my wrist extending to the elbow. All this seemed to attract and compel me to greater accomplishments, and I spent five days faithfully reciting 12,000 prayers a day, experiencing both joy and the longing for the prayer. I spent the rest of the summer reciting the name of Jesus vocally, and I enjoyed great peace. During my sleep, I often dreamed that I was praying, and if I happened to meet people during the day, they all seemed as close to me as if they were my kinsmen. My thoughts had quieted down completely. I thought only of the prayer to which my mind now began to listen, and my heart produced certain warmth and gladness. My solitary hut was to me like a splendid palace, and I did not know how to thank God for sending me a great sinner, such a holy elder for a director. However, I was not to enjoy the guidance of my beloved and wise father for long, for at the end of the summer he passed away. With tears in my eyes, I thanked him for his paternal love and teaching, and said goodbye. I asked for the rosary with which he always prayed in order to have a remembrance of him. Now I was left alone. The summer had finally passed and the vegetable garden was harvested. The farmer paid me two rubles, filled my knapsack with bread and dismissed me. Again, I had no place to live, so I began to wander from place to place. But now my wandering was very different. Now there was no urgency driving me. All people seemed good to me, and I felt that everyone loved me. So now I walk and say the Jesus prayer without ceasing, and it is more precious and sweet to me than anything else in the world. Sometimes I walk seventy or more versts a day, and I do not get tired. When the cold air chills me, I begin saying the prayer with greater intensity, and I warm up. When hunger begins to overcome me, I begin saying the name of Jesus Christ more frequently, and I forget that I wanted to eat. When I become sick and feel rheumatic pain in my back and legs, I pay greater attention to the prayer and I do not feel the pain. When someone offends me, I remember how sweet the Jesus prayer is and the offense and anger disappear and I forget everything. I walk in a semi-conscious state without worries, interests and temptations. My only desire and attraction is for solitude and ceaseless recitation of the Jesus prayer. This makes me happy. I now clearly understand what is the meaning of the words of the Apostle Paul. Pray constantly. I decided to travel in the direction of Siberia, 
where I could visit the tomb of Bishop Innocent of Irkutsk. My intention was to find solitude in the Siberian woods and steppes, which would be conducive to my study and prayer. So I set out on my journey to Siberia, and I continued to recite the Jesus prayer vocally. I walked mostly through the woods and on country roads, and if I passed a village, I would stop and ask for some bread, a handful of salt and some water, and then I would continue my journey for about a hundred versts. Either because of my sinfulness or because I had to learn certain lessons about spiritual life, at the end of the summer there were trials in store for me. I was walking on a wide road when toward evening two men, who looked like soldiers, caught up with me and demanded money. When I tried to tell them that I did not have even a kopeck, they did not believe me and impudently cried, You are lying! Pilgrims collect a lot of money. And one of them remarked, Why continue to speak with him? And he hit me in the head with the club so that I fell to the ground unconscious. I saw that I was lying in the woods close to the road, all torn, and my knapsack was gone. When I came to my senses, I got up and began to weep bitterly, not so much because of the pain in my head as for my lost books. The Bible and the Philokalia were in the knapsack, and now they were gone. Day and night I could not stop my tears and sorrow as I thought, where is the Bible which I read since I was a little boy? Where is my Philokalia, from which I gained so much guidance and comfort? It would have been better if they had killed me than to have left me without my spiritual nourishment. How could I ever replace those books? For two days I could hardly move my feet. Sorrow had so exhausted me, I lost all my strength and slumped under the bushes and fell asleep. I had a dream. I was in the hermitage, in the cell of my spiritual father, grieving over my loss. The elder comforted me and said, This is a lesson for you on detachment from material things, so that your path to heaven will be more direct. This was permitted so that you would not fall into spiritual complacency. Soon your joy will far surpass your present suffering. At these words I woke up feeling strengthened. Light and peace seemed to flood my soul. May God's will be done, I said. I blessed myself and started on my way. The prayer once again began to function in my heart, and I walked in peace for three days. Then, suddenly, I saw on the road a group of prisoners under military escort. When I came all the way up to them, I recognized the two men who had robbed me, and as they were some distance from the others, I fell at their feet and earnestly implored them to tell me what had happened to my books. At first they did not pay any attention to me, 
and then one of them said, If you'll give us something, then we will tell you where they are. Give us a ruble. I saw that I would give them a ruble without fail, even if I had to beg for it. They told me that the books were in the cart with the other stolen goods. How can I get them? I asked. Ask the officer in charge of the transport. I went to the officer and explained my situation to him in detail. Among other things, he asked me, Can you really read the Bible? Not only can I read, but I can write also, I answered. You can see my name in the Bible and you can check it against my passport. These swindlers, the runaway soldiers, lived in dugouts and robbed many people. Yesterday evening a clever coachman caught them as they were about to steal a troika from him. Very likely your books are here and I will give them to you. But there is no need for you to leave the transport. You can stay with us for the night. The station is only about four versts away. I gladly walked by the officer's riding horse and we continued with our conversation. I noticed that he was a good and honest man. He asked about my origins and destination and I answered all his questions with complete honesty. Soon we came to the station. He found my books, gave them to me and again invited me to spend the night with him. I accepted his invitation and stayed. When I received my books, I was so overjoyed that I did not know how to thank God. Tears of joy streamed down my face and my heart beat as if in ecstasy. The officer, seeing this display of affection, said to me, Dear brother, I also read the gospel every day. With this, he unbuttoned his coat and pulled out a small key of edition of the gospels, bound in silver. Sit down and I'll tell you what brought me to this, and let's have some supper. We sat down, and the officer began his story. I have served in the army ever since I was quite young. I knew my duties and was a favorite of my superiors as a conscientious officer. But I was young, as were also my friends, and unhappily I started drinking. It went from bad to worse until drinking became an illness. When I did not drink, I was a good officer. But when I would start drinking, then I would have to go to bed for six weeks. My superiors were patient with me for a long time, but finally, for rudeness to the commanding officer while I was drunk, they reduced my rank to private and transferred me to a garrison for three years. They threatened me with more severe punishment if I would not improve and give up drinking. In this unfortunate condition, all my efforts at self-control were of no avail and I could not stay sober for any length of time. One day, I was sitting in the barracks deep in thought. A monk came in to beg alms for the church. Those who had money gave what they could. When he approached me, he asked, why are you so downcast? We started talking, and I told him the cause of my grief. The monk sympathized with my situation and said, My brother was once in a similar position, and I will tell you how he was cured. His spiritual father gave him a copy of the Gospels and strongly urged him to read a chapter whenever he wanted to take a drink. If the desire for a drink did not leave him after he read one chapter, he was encouraged to read another, and if necessary, still another, 
My brother followed this advice, and after some time, he lost all desire for alcoholic beverages. It is now 15 years since he has touched a drop of alcohol. Why don't you do the same? And you'll discover how beneficial the reading of the Gospels can be. I have a copy at home, and I'll gladly bring it to you. I wasn't very open to this idea, so I objected. How can your Gospels help when neither my efforts at self-control nor medical aid could keep me sober? Give it a chance, continued the monk reassuringly, and you will find it very helpful. The next day, he brought me this copy of the Gospels. I opened it, browsed through it, and said, I'll not take it, for I cannot understand it. I'm not accustomed to reading Church Slavonic. He went on, At the beginning, be concerned only with reading it diligently. Understanding will come later. I placed the book in my trunk with my other belongings and forgot about it. Sometime later, a strong desire to have a drink took hold of me, and I opened the trunk to get some money and run to the tavern. But I saw the copy of the Gospels before I got to the money, and I remember clearly what the monk had told me. I opened the book and read the first chapter of Matthew without understanding anything. Again, I remember the monk's words, at the beginning, be concerned only with reading it diligently. Understanding will come later. So I read another chapter and found it a bit more comprehensible. Shortly after, I began reading the third chapter. The curfew bell rang and it was no longer possible for me to leave the barracks. In the morning, first thought was to get a drink. But then I decided to read another chapter to see what would happen. I read it and did not go. Again, I wanted a drink, but I started reading and I felt better. This gave me courage, and with every temptation for a drink, I began reading a chapter from the Gospels. The more I read, the easier it became, and when I finally finished reading all four Gospels, the compulsion for drink had disappeared completely. I was repelled by the very thought of it. It is now 20 years since I stopped drinking alcoholic beverages. When I was cured of my drinking, I made a vow to read the Gospels every day, the account of one evangelist in 24 hours, and I allow no obstacle to interfere with this practice. When duties and responsibilities are great and I am very tired, then I have my wife or my son read one Gospel to me, and in this way I am faithful to my promise. Out of gratitude and for the glory of God, I had this Gospel bound in silver and I carry it on my breast faithfully. After this conversation, we prayed. The captain then read the Gospel according to St. Mark while I listened and prayed within my heart. At two o'clock in the morning, we finished and went to bed. From habit, I arose early in the morning, while all were yet asleep. And as soon as there was sufficient light, I threw myself into my beloved Philokalia. With what joy I opened it! It was similar to a reunion between a father and a son after a long absence, or a reunion with a friend who arose from the dead. When the captain got up, I went to thank him for his hospitality and to say goodbye. He gave me some tea and a ruble, and then we parted.
After walking some distance, I remembered my promise to the soldiers, for I now unexpectedly have a ruble. For a moment, there was a conflict in my mind. Should I, or should I not, give it to them? After all, they had beaten me and robbed me, and, since they were under arrest, they could not use the money anyway. But I also thought of what is written in the Bible. And Christ himself says, love your enemies. So in the end, I returned to the station, gave them the ruble and said, repent and pray. Jesus Christ loves you and will not abandon you. Then I left them and went on my way. I walked for about 50 versts on a big road and then I decided to take a country road in order to have more solitude to read the Philokalia. For a long time I continued walking in this manner, and then I came upon such a deserted area that for three days I did not see a village. My bread was all gone, and I became very hungry and fatigued. What if I die of hunger? I thought. But as soon as I began to pray with the heart, the fatigue passed. I resigned myself to the will of God and once again I was happy and at peace. Soon after, as I was passing by a very thick forest, I suddenly saw a dog running out of the woods. As I called the dog to myself and played with him for a while, I was thinking that this was indeed divine providence. Undoubtedly, there were animals in these woods and this dog belonged either to a shepherd or to a hunter. I would be able to get a bit of bread somehow, or, at least, ask about the nearest village. The dog frisked about me for a while and then, seeing that I had nothing to give him, ran back on the same narrow path from which he came. From behind a large tree came a middle-aged man, emaciated and pale. He asked me how I happened to come there and I in turn asked him what he was doing in that solitary place. And so we started a friendly conversation. The man invited me to his hut and told me that he was a woodsman guarding the forest. He gave me some bread and salt and we continued our conversation. How I envy you, I said. You can live here in peaceful solitude, away from people. You are welcome to live here also, he said. There is an old hut not far from here which belonged to the former woodsman, and though it is in disrepair, it is possible to live in it during the summer. We will have enough bread, as I have some brought to me from the village every week, and close by we have a brook which never dries. For the past ten years, brother, I also have eaten only bread and drunk water, nothing else. But here is the situation. In the fall, when harvesting is finished, then about 200 workmen will come to cut down this forest, and then neither you nor I can live here. I gladly accepted the temporary lodging which was offered to me. Then I talked some more with my host and brother, and he began to tell me about his ideas on life. I was a respected citizen in the village, he said. I had my own business, I dyed cotton and linen fabrics, and I was satisfied with life, though I was not without sin. I cheated my customers, and I swore and drank and quarreled. 
there was an old lector in our village who had a very old book about the last judgment. For ten kopecks he would read through the night, and as I worked, I heard how the angels will blow their trumpets and God will judge the living and the dead, how the living will change and the dead will rise. I heard about the sufferings of hell, about the fire, the pitch and the worms. Once, as I listened, I was overwhelmed with a sudden terror and I began thinking of changing my lifestyle. Perhaps I could make up for my sins. I thought and thought and finally gave up my business, sold my house and took this job. I only asked that the community would provide me with bread, clothes and candles for the services. So this is how I have lived for more than 10 years. I eat only bread and drink water once a day. I do not use abusive language, do not quarrel with anyone, do not drink beer or wine, and I have never had anything to do with women. At first, this lifestyle appealed me, but lately I have been plagued with disturbing thoughts. Is what I heard from the book really true? Do people really rise from the dead? Even the dust is gone from a person who died a hundred years ago. And who knows whether there is a hell? No one has ever returned from the other world. It seems to me that when a man dies, his body decays and he disappears without leaving a trace. And it is possible that the book was written by clerics and spiritual leaders to frighten us, ignorant ones, so that we would live more humbly. Life on earth is difficult. There is so little joy in it. And if there is nothing in the next world, then... What is it all about? Isn't it better to take life more lightly and live more happily? Thoughts like these war against me and I wonder whether I should not return to my former work. I felt sorry for him when I heard all this, and I thought, they say that only the educated and intelligent ones are free thinkers who do not believe in anything, but here one of our peasants is full of doubt and skepticism. It is easy to see that the world of darkness has access to all, and perhaps even more to the uneducated ones. So in order to help this brother and to strengthen his faith, I took the Philokalia out of my knapsack, read it, and then began to explain to him that abstaining from sinful actions and fear of suffering are not sufficient for spiritual life, that only the guarding of the mind and purity of the heart will free one's soul from sinful thoughts, that inner freedom can be attained only through interior prayer and, I repeated, not through fear of the sufferings of hell or even the desire of the bliss of heaven. The Holy Fathers consider that the fear of suffering is the way of a slave and that desire for a reward is the way of a hireling. But God wants us to come to Him on the path of a son, motivated by love and zeal for His glory. We should conduct ourselves with honor and enjoy His saving presence in our hearts and souls.
I suggest, brother, that you learn how to recite the Jesus prayer unceasingly. You'll be surprised at the comfort and joy the prayer will bring into your heart. You will no longer be bored or confused about your repentant form of life. He seemed receptive to all this and became peaceful. So we parted and I shut myself in the little dilapidated hut. Dear Lord, what joy, peace and consolation I experienced the moment I crossed the threshold of that hut. In a short time, I read the whole book and I realized what wisdom, holiness and depth it contains. However, since the book contains so many varied themes and exhortations, I could not understand everything. So I prayed ceaselessly for 24 hours, not stopping even for a little while. My thoughts quieted down and I fell asleep. I had a dream. in which I saw myself in the cell of my late elder and he was explaining the Philokalia to me. This book is full of wisdom and although it is not readily available to everyone, it does contain instructions for all. It has profound sayings for the wise and simple ones for the simple-minded. If, however, you desire even more simple information regarding interior prayer, then find the summarized version of Patriarch Callistus of Constantinople in the fourth part of the book. Then the elder himself turned a few pages and said, Here it is. I'll mark it for you. And, picking up a piece of charcoal from the floor, he made a mark in the margin where the passage was found. I listened attentively to all that the Elder explained and tried to remember it. It was still dark when I woke up, so I lay there and recalled the dream I had and what the Elder had told me. I found myself thinking, God knows whether it was the soul of the Elder which I saw, or perhaps just my imagination, since I think so much about the Elder and the Philokalia. At dawn, I got up with this perplexing question in my mind, and to my astonishment, I saw the Philokalia open to that very page which the Elder had shown me, and the section marked exactly as I saw in the dream, and even the charcoal was laying beside the book. I was completely amazed, as I remembered distinctly that the book was not there the night before. It was closed and was at the head of my bed, and I was also sure that there was no mark of any kind in that section before. This incident strengthened my faith in dreams and in the holiness of my departed spiritual father. Then came the time for the forest to be cut. The workers began coming and it was necessary for me to leave my silent dwelling. I thanked the forester for his hospitality, said my prayers, kissed the spot of earth on which God made me worthy of his mercy, took the knapsack with my books and left. For a long time, I wandered from place to place until I reached Irkutsk.
In my wandering, I also encountered many mysterious incidents. To speak about all of them would take more than 24 hours, but I would like to mention a few of them. One early evening in winter, I was walking alone through the woods toward a town which I could already see and where I wanted to find lodging. Suddenly, a big wolf came upon me and jumped at me. I had the woolen rosary which had belonged to my late elder in my hands, and in my attempt to defend myself with it, the rosary slipped out of my hands and lodged around the neck of the wolf. The wolf jumped away from me and got caught in a thorny bush. He tried desperately to free himself, but was unable to because the rosary was choking him. With faith I blessed myself and went to free the wolf, and especially to get my precious rosary, for I feared that the wolf would run away with it. And, sure enough, the moment I approached the wolf and touched the rosary, he broke it and ran away without leaving a trace. I thank God for his help in retrieving my rosary, and I remembered my late elder. Then I happily reached the town and stopped at an inn to ask for lodging. As I came inside the house, I saw two distinguished-looking men, one elderly and the other middle-aged and rather stout. I asked the peasant who was attending to their horses about them, and he told me that the older man was a public school teacher and the other a clerk from the district court. Both of the men are of noble birth, he said. I sat there for a while and then asked the lady of the house for a needle and a thread, came toward the light of the candle and began mending my broken rosary. The clerk looked at me and asked, were you making prostrations so earnestly that you even broke your rosary? It was a wolf, I said. Really? Do wolves pray? asked the clerk, smiling. So I gave them the details of the incident which had just occurred and also explained how valuable the rosary is to me. The clerk again smiled and said, You hypocrites always see miracles. What is holy in what happened? You simply flung the rosary at the wolf and he got scared and ran away. Dogs and wolves are afraid when you throw anything at them. And of course, they do not wish to get caught in the woods. There is so much that is happening in the world. Must we believe that everything is miraculous? When the teacher heard this, he joined the conversation and said to the clerk, Don't draw such conclusions, sir. You are not familiar with this subject matter. I see in the narrative of this peasant the mystery of nature, both sensual and spiritual. How is that? asked the clerk. The teacher responded, You must have studied the history of the Old and New Testaments. Do you recall that when the first man, Adam, was in his innocent state, all creation was subject to him, and that the animals approached him with fear, and he named them. The elder to whom this rosary belonged was a holy man, and holiness is nothing else than the sinner's return from his sinful state to the innocent state of the first man by means of self-discipline. 
When the soul of a man becomes holy, then the body is holy also. And the rosary which was constantly in the hands of the holy elder became empowered by his touch and spirit. It acquired, so to speak, the power of the first man's innocence. All animals in natural succession, even to this day, feel that power through the sense of smell, since the nose is the chief sensory organ in animals. You learned one can have your wisdom and power, but I take things more simply. I pour a glass of vodka, and when I get it down, then I will have power. The words of the teacher pleased me, and I went to him and proceeded to tell him about my dream and how the elder taught me and how he marked the philokalia for me. The teacher listened attentively, and the clerk who was lying on the bench cried, It is true that from too much reading of the Bible one can lose one's wits. And that is how it is. What kind of ghost would mark your book during the night? You simply pushed the book on the floor in your sleep, and it was marred with soot. There you have. A miracle. These tricksters. I have seen very much of your kind, brother. After muttering this, the clerk turned to the wall and fell asleep. Another incident occurred in the spring. I came into one village and happened to get lodging with a priest. He was a good man and lived alone. After I stayed with him for three days and he had a chance to get to know me a little, he said to me, Stay with me and work for me. I need an honest and conscientious man. You see that we are in the process of building a new stone church next to the old wooden one. And I cannot find a trustworthy man who would supervise the workers and also take care of the offerings for the building. I can see that you are just the man I need and this job will be conducive to your lifestyle. You can sit alone in the chapel and pray. Please stay at least until the church is finished. At the beginning I was quite reluctant to stay there, but the priest was so convincing that in the end I had to agree. So I stayed in the chapel through the summer, and at first I found it peaceful and conducive to prayer, even though many people came to the chapel, especially on feast days. Some came to pray, others to look, and others to steal something from the collection plate. Sometimes I would be reading the Bible or the Philokalia and people would talk to me or ask me to read something for them. When I had been there for some time, I noticed a peasant girl coming to the chapel frequently and praying for long periods of time. Since her voice was audible, I realized that she was saying some strange and unorthodox prayers, and I asked where she learned them. She replied that she learned them from her pious mother, but that her father was a schismatic who belonged to a sect without priesthood. I was sad to hear this and suggested that she pray correctly, that is, according to the tradition of the Church. I explained the Our Father and the Hail Mary to her and also said, Recite the Jesus prayer frequently, for it is the most efficacious of all prayers and through it you can work out your salvation. The girl readily accepted my advice and in all simplicity began to do what I told her. And guess what happened? 
After a while, she told me that she became so accustomed to the Jesus prayer that she had the inclination to pray continuously, that she experienced consolation and joy when she prayed, and that when she stopped, she had the desire to pray again. I was happy to hear this and suggested that she continue to pray more frequently in the name of Jesus Christ. The end of the summer was approaching. Now many of the people who visited the chapel came not only for me to read to them or to ask for advice, but they came with all kinds of human problems and even in search of lost articles. They seemed to regard me as a seer or a prophet. The already mentioned village girl also came with a problem. Her father had decided to marry her to a schismatic by a lay person instead of a priest. She exclaimed, What kind of lawful wedding is that? It is the same as fornication. I am ready to run away and go where my eyes will lead. I said to her, Well, where will you run? They will quickly find you. It is not possible for you to hide and not be found. You had better pray to God with great fervor about this so that your father has a change of heart and will guard your soul from heresy and sin. This will be much more beneficial than running away. As time went on, things became unbearable for me in the chapel. It was noisy and distracting. Then finally the summer ended and I decided to leave the chapel and continue with my journey as before. I approached the priest and began to explain. You know my situation, Father. I need silence for prayer, but here it is quite distracting for me. I kept my word and stayed through the summer. Now please give me your blessing for my solitary journey. The priest was unwilling to let me go and tried to talk me out of leaving. What interferes with your prayer here? You don't have any kind of work besides sitting in the chapel. This is an easy way to earn your bread, and you can pray day and night there, brother, and really live with God. This place really needs you. When people come to the chapel, you don't speak nonsense with them, and the offerings for the church have increased. This work is more meritorious before God than your solitary prayer. What do you get from solitude? It is more joyful to pray with other people. God did not create man to be alone, to be preoccupied with himself. People should help one another and lead one another toward salvation in whatever way they can. Look at the saints and the universal teachers. They bustled and worked for the church day and night. They preached everywhere and did not sit in solitude and did not hide from people. Father, everyone has his gift from God. I said. There were many preachers, but also many hermits. Each one followed his inclination and believed that God himself was directing him on his spiritual journey. And what will you say about the saints who left their religious communities and flew to the desert for solitude so that they would not be distracted by people? St. Isaac of Syria left his bishopric for this reason, and venerable Athanasius of Athens gave up his large monastery because these places were for them a source of temptation and because they truly believed the words of Christ. What, then, will a man gain? 
if he wins the whole world and ruins his life. But they were saints, said the priest. If the saints, I answered, were careful not to be spiritually ruined by their association with people, then what remains for me, the great sinner, to do? So in the end, this good priest lovingly sent me on my way. After walking ten versts, I stopped in a village for the night. All of a sudden, the girl who used to pray in the chapel so frequently came running to me from the backyard. How did you get here? I asked. Please be kind and take me with you and help me to get some convent. I do not want to get married. I want to live in a convent and recite the Jesus prayer. Some convent will accept me if you will intercede for me. Please, I said, where can I take you? I do not know of even one convent in this area. And how can you come with me if you don't have your passport? I don't think that you have a chance of being accepted anywhere. And there is no place to hide at this time. They will quickly find you, return you to your home, and even punish you for vagrancy. Better go home and pray to God. And if you don't want to get married, then feign some kind of illness. This is called using a saving pretense, which is what Mother Saint Clementa and Venerable Marina did when they took refuge in a man's monastery, as did many others. While we sat there and talked, four men came riding a horse carriage down the road and they headed straight toward us. They took the girl, set her in the carriage with one of the men and sent them off and the other three tied my hands and took me back to the village where I had spent the summer. To all my attempts to explain, they only cried, You hypocrite! We will teach you how to deceive girls! They brought me to the village court, put my feet in stocks, and placed me in jail until morning when they would have the trial. When my priest friend heard that I was in jail, he came to visit me, brought me supper, comforted me, and said that as my spiritual father he would defend my character. He spent some time with me and then left. Later that evening, the district judge came through the village and stopped to visit the deputy. He was told what had happened and he decided to take care of the matter that very evening. And so they brought me to the courtroom. We waited for a while before the judge came, and with his hat still on, he sat down and shouted, Epiphan, did your daughter take anything from your house? Nothing, sir. Is she guilty of anything indecent with this fool? No, sir. Well, then, this is what we will do. You, take care of your daughter yourself and we will give a lesson to this young man tomorrow and then release him with strict orders never to return to this village again. This is all. After saying this, the judge left the room and went to sleep, and I was placed in jail again. In the morning, the police commissioner and his assistant came, gave me a beating, and then released me. I left the jail praising God, that I was found worthy to suffer for his name, 
This made me happy, and it intensified the prayer of the heart within me. All that had happened seemed not to affect me. It was as if I had watched someone else being so treated, and when they flogged me, the prayer strengthened and consoled me, and I was oblivious of everything. After I walked about four versts, I met the mother of the unwilling bride coming home from the market with her shopping. She said to me, The groom renounced our daughter. He got mad because Akulka ran away from him. She then gave me some bread and pastry, and I went on my way. Unquote. There are many more stories and dialogues, but what do we know about the life of this pilgrim? There are so many encounters, would he never tell about his own life? Well, he does. And with that story, we shall conclude the episode. Quote. I was born in a village in the Orlovsky province, and after my mother and father passed away, I was left with my older brother. He was ten years old, and I was two. My grandfather, who was an upright and prosperous man, took us in. Grandfather owned and managed an inn on the main road of the town, and because of his kindness, the house was always full of visitors. And so we lived with my grandfather. My brother was a playful lad and was always running around town, but I stayed close by my grandfather most of the time. For the holy days, grandfather would take us to church with him, and at home he often read the Bible to us. This one that I have with me here. My brother went astray when he grew up. He began drinking. One day, when I was seven years old, my brother and I were resting on the hearth and he violently pushed me off and hurt my left arm. From that day, my left arm has been rendered useless, as it is practically all withered. When my grandfather realized that I was not suited for farm work, he began to make a literate boy out of me. He started to teach me how to read. He taught me from the Bible. Pointing to a phrase, he would encourage me to note the makeup of the words and to remember the letters. I still do not know how, but after some time of repeating after him, I finally learned how to read. Later, when my grandfather's sight began to fail, he would ask me to read out loud from the Bible and he would correct me. A district clerk lodged with us quite frequently, and I was fascinated by his beautiful handwriting. I began to imitate him and to make words, and when he saw my interest, he gave me paper, showed me how to write, and even made quill pens for me. Thus, I learned how to write. Grandfather was overjoyed at my accomplishment and spoke to me in this way. Now that God has made it possible for you to become a real, literate man, thank him for this blessing 
and pray more frequently. And so we now went to church for all the services, and at home we prayed even more often. When I was 17 years old, my grandmother died. Grandfather was eager for me to marry, so he said to me, How can we get along without a woman? Since your older brother went astray, I would like you to get married. I was reluctant and in protest showed him my handicapped arm, but grandfather insisted and I was married to a sedate and good girl of twenty. A year passed and grandfather became mortally ill. He called me to his side and said, The house and the entire inheritance is yours. Live according to your conscience and do not cheat anyone. Do not place your trust in anything but God. Go to church, read the Bible, and remember to pray for grandmother and me. Here is some money for you, a thousand rubles. Be careful neither to squander it nor to be stingy, and remember to give to the poor and to the church. So my grandfather died, and I buried him. My brother became envious because the entire inheritance was left to me. He was filled with rage against me, and with the enemy on his side, he even planned to kill me. So when he had the chance, he came by night while we were asleep, broke into the room where the money was kept, took the money, and set the house on fire, and we barely escaped with our lives. We kept the Bible under our pillow, so of course, when we escaped, we took it with us, and so we lost all our belongings in the fire, while my brother escaped without our knowledge that he was responsible for the fire. It was only later that we found this out, for while he was on a drinking binge, he bragged about stealing the money and setting fire to the house. Now we were poor indeed, for we were left naked and barefoot. But somehow, on credit, we built a small house and began to live as other peasants. My wife was a master of handcrafts. She took up weaving, spinning and sewing, and she toiled day and night to support me. With my crippled hand, I could not help her, so while she worked, I read the Bible. In this manner we lived peacefully for two years. What is surprising is that, though we had no knowledge and understanding of interior activity and had never heard about the prayer of the heart, we had an attraction toward prayer, and even a long and seemingly incomprehensible prayer did not appear long or difficult but was recited with joy. Apparently what I heard from one teacher is the truth. He said that secret prayer is found within the depths of each man, and any man who knows how to listen hears the soul's call to outward prayer. After two years of such quiet life, my wife became seriously ill with the high fever, and after receiving the Holy Eucharist, she died on the ninth day. 
I was left completely alone and, of course, unable to work. Now my life was indeed difficult and it was necessary for me to become a wanderer and beg for my food. I was overwhelmed with sorrow for my wife and when I would come into the house and notice her scarf or some other piece of her clothing, I would weep until I fell unconscious. When I could no longer bear the grief of living at home, I sold the house for 20 rubles and gave whatever clothes there were both my wife's and mine, to the poor. I took my beloved Bible and set out where my eyes would lead. But as I left, I wondered, where will I go? First of all, I'll go to Kiev to pay my respects to the saints of God buried there and I will ask them to help me in my grief. As soon as I made my decision, I felt better and by the time I reached Kiev, I was filled with joy. It has already been 13 years. I have visited many churches and monasteries, but now I keep more to the plains and steppes. I'm 33 years old, the age of Christ. Unquote. Thank you for listening. If you think this show is worth a dollar or two, please find the PayPal link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and see you the next time.